The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever, interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? We are here to radiate the fine art of holding space today with Heather Plett, who is um, quite the, the expert on holding space. Heather is an international speaker, writer, coach, and facilitator who is also a wisdom seeker, edge walker, community gatherer, and story catcher. So that's quite a few different titles, Heather. Welcome. Thank you. So happy to have you here. Um, I think we all hear about holding space, and we may not all know what that is, but uh, we kind of know what the end product is. But before we even get into that, I'd kind of like to go a bit into your background. So um, you've been a writer, um, a coach and facilitator. How long have you been kind of in this, in this field of, of the, the, the helping, the serving? How long have you been doing that type of thing? I started my own business about seven and a half years ago. So this, this is really focusing on this particular work has been about seven and a half years. What did you do before that? I was I worked in the field of communications. I worked first in the federal government for a number of years in um, director positions in in communications and public relations, and then I worked in uh, an, for a nonprofit organization doing similar work as uh, the the um, national director of communications and and fundraising for a um, international development nonprofit. Yeah, yeah, and so no wonder that. Um, uh, the writing on your website is so compelling and so gentle and so heartfelt. So I'm not surprised that you have an extensive background in communications. When mm-hmm. did you decide that it was time to break away from that mold and go out on your own? Uh, well, when I started that position in, in a nonprofit, I kind of told myself that it would be a five year um, 
path that I would be there. Cause even when I started that job, I had a sense that I was going to be doing my own thing at some point. I had this, I, whatever reason I had this kind of calling or longing to be out on my own. So I, I set myself a goal that in five years I would do that. It ended up being about six and a half um, for various reasons, but uh, that's that. So it's, Really, it's been about 13 years that I've been on this intentional path towards this kind of work. Yeah, and what started you on this path toward this type of work? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I think if I if I try to find a um, like a historic point in time that that kind of launched everything I do now. I would say that it was first emerging for me when I had a stillborn son about 18 and a half years ago, I ended up in the hospital uh, in the middle of my third pregnancy and was suddenly on bed rest in the hospital for, it ended up being about three weeks and ended up with a stillborn son. But those three weeks were with the intent of trying to save the pregnancy. And that kind of, put my whole life on hold and put me into this other kind of space. And um, I had this really quite remarkable experience in the hospital where I, it, it almost became a bit of a spiritual quest for me in those three weeks. And um, I went into a fairly deep kind of personal um yeah, I, I, it's hard to describe. It was a little bit of a pilgrimage and a little bit of a a, a breaking open of my my kind of old way of being in the world and this this quest for something new. And so I came out of that um, really knowing that there was some kind of longing that I had for a different way of living and being and different way of working. And, and so that was kind of so. It's been probably yeah eight and a half years now that I've been um, finding my way toward this work and uh, really what happened in the hospital were some really unique things and one I say that I started my my work as a coach in the hospital because here I was for three weeks sitting in a hospital bed without much to do and and all of a sudden people seemed to be kind of attracted to my room and they would sit and talk and share their stories with me and I would I was becoming a coach without knowing that language. Then I was becoming this sort of support person. I was holding space for people in my hospital room and, and I didn't have the language for it yet, but that was where it kind of started. So, so, and you were the patient in that situation, the one who was, you know, you would think that people are coming by to look in on you, to take care of you and to hold space for you. And here you were, you were, serving others, coaching others, holding space for them. Um, Did you find yourself kind of naturally drifting toward that type of role? Yeah, it was, it was kind of puzzling at first because I would, uh, you know, I would end up in these deep conversations with the nurses and then even some doctors would come and talk to me, you know, like it was like they, they felt this somehow compelled to end up sitting in my room and we'd have these long chats and, and, one of the nurses said as she was leaving my room, she said, I don't understand what it is about this space, but I walk into your room and I just feel calm and I feel, you know, like it just feels really lovely. And I walk out feeling refreshed. And 
she was somebody who was having some parenting struggles and she would come and talk to me about her kids and stuff. And she said, I, I feel like I walk out of here with a fresh perspective and I don't even know for sure what happened, but it just sort of showed up. And it wasn't like I given her specific advice or anything, but it was just in that kind of container of my room that things sort of shifted. And so I really started to kind of tune into that as what, what is going on here and why, you know, I, I, you know, I had to be receptive to it, that the, uh, whatever that was and, and then offer it up to people. And, and, uh, that kind of became my calling really in a sense. Well, I can imagine, you know, um, that had to be very life altering. I mean, not only did you lose a child, but mm -hmm. found that there was profound healing and profound, uh, transformation in just, providing that space yeah it's extremely transformative and so now you've yeah turned holding space into um i don't know not i hate to say product because that just makes it sound like something else but you've you've transformed it into something that can you can help people replicate and duplicate mm -hmm. and so what what is this fine art of holding space like i said before we kind of know what the end result is. We know that when someone is holding space and um, you know, that we're allowed to vent, to grieve, to feel our feelings, to do all of these things. But how would you define what holding space is? Mm -hmm. It's really about the, the um, intentional act of creating a container where a person is safe to have the complexity of their life experience where they're not feeling judged where they're not you know given being given directions or being you know given advice that they didn't ask for they're they're allowed to have to go into the complexity of their emotional experience their you know their confusion their grief etc and know that they are being held in a respectful and you know and and contained way that that gives them both the safety to you know to not feel um that they might potentially be wounded by the experience but also it gives them a, there's i i've been using a fair bit of attachment theory in my work and attachment theory talks about there being a safe haven and a secure base so the safe haven is a safe place to run to if you need to hide and you know and have that safety and then the secure base is like a launching pad like it's a place to to launch from that that they allow you to then have courage and and uh, you know and, and grow from there so that's really what i see holding space as about is about offering that safety for for complexity and for you know mixed emotions and stuff but then also encouraging that freedom and autonomy and, and growth out of that place. Oh, I love that. I love that because yeah, when we do hold space, hold space for someone, it does feel very safe. It feels mm -hmm. like being judged. And I know as humans, we sometimes we seem hardwired to judge and hardwired to want to help solve problems. How do we shut that off? How do we get out of that? And well, this is why... 
one of the things that I teach again and again is that you can't hold space for other people unless you do it for yourself. And so what I, you know, I tell people, first of all, spend time with yourself. Like if you can become comfortable with your own complex emotions, <laughs> if you can become uncomfortable with your pain, with your fear, with, with holding that and not judging it in yourself, then you can become comfortable and holding it for other people for so first really is you know wrestling with why am I judging myself why am I shutting this down why don't I you know why do I feel like I have to run when things become uncomfortable or I have to numb them out um, once you can start to hold that and practice that you know active um, you know support of yourself then you can offer it in other people as well Mm-hmm. Good. So um, when we are holding that space for others, is there something that we, we should say, things we should say and things we should not say? When do we know how to, you know, when is the time to speak and when is the time to just shut up? Yeah. I, you know what? I, I, I'm really hesitant to to bring any shoulds into this work because shoulds become rule-based and, and this isn't rule-based work. It's into it's intuitive based work. And so my first, the first thing I say is start practicing good discernment based on your intu intuition of what's needed in that moment. And it, good discernment is usually checking in with the other person what they need, you know, asking like, you know, I, I have an idea for you, but I don't want to offer it to you unless you are receptive to it or, you know, or really want it. So I, I'll, I, you know, being willing to withhold the advice that you might have, or that, you know, because they may want some ideas or advice, but it, each situation is different. Each person is different. If a person's really raw at that moment, they're not going to be too receptive to re receiving advice. On the other hand, they might be really hungry for it and they want you to offer them something. So it's really paying attention to what's in the moment and what's in that person and how am I responding to what they need for in this, uh, in the, this time. And so it's okay to ask. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. I think uh, I remember John Gray's book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. And, you know, how um, there seem to be sort of delineated patterns of response according to gender. I don't know about that, but, you know, the offering and fixing rather than the listening and supporting. Um, you know, I, I know that when someone is hurting, you want to go in and fix it. You want to go in and, mm -hmm. and help them and take care of it, but not necessarily, right? No, I, I, it's very rarely is it the right thing to do to fix something for another person. Like even, even with your children, you know, like I, I'd say that raising children is like a PhD in holding space because you gradually, you know, you have to change how you do it throughout their lifetime. Like sure, the beginning, they need lots of guidance and lots of, you know, a close holding and gradually you're learning to let them go. And, and, um, yeah, I've got um, three daughters from age 17 to 23 and, and I'm, I'm not telling them what to do much at all anymore. I let them wrestle with what they need to do and, mm -hmm. and I'll support them in figuring it out. But, 
to, to give too much direction or try to fix things. Um, I, w what I talk about is I try to talk about the opposite of holding space too, to help people understand it. And I, and I talk about, I've used different terms, but one of the terms I talk about is hijacking space. Like once we're trying to fix things for somebody else, then we're trying to control the space and, and hijack it. And, and usually that's about our own needs, our own, uh, what we need out of the situation or what we want as the outcome. Uh, it's not really putting their desired outcome at the center of our, our purpose. Right, right. So like what kind of, what, would, what might that look like if someone was hijacking space? Well, I... I We've all done it. I mean, when we show up and we're feeling insecure and we're feeling like we need to give good advice or we're feeling like we, you know, uncomfortable with the situation, we might, there's lots of different terms people use. One of them is um, uh, tone policing is a, is a term that I sometimes use. It's not my original term, but when, when we need to control the environment because we're uncomfortable with their anger, for example, somebody has to release a lot of anger about a situation and we tell them, oh, you need to calm down. Well, that's, that's hijacking the space because we have discomfort with their anger. Well, maybe they need to express their anger. Maybe we need to support them in, in releasing it rather than in, in trying to calm it down because it makes us feel uncomfortable. So when we're inclined to in, you know, enforce something or, or you know, like control the situation, it's, it's almost invariably about our, our own stuff showing up. Right, right. I can totally see that. Um, I saw on your website that um, you had kind of a leap of understanding with the holding space surrounding your mother being ill. Mm -hmm. There was a blog post that you wrote that many years ago that I'm sure, I'm almost positive I shared because I thought it was so transformative and so wonderful. Can you share mm -hmm. just a bit about that experience? Sure, that's, that's really when this, <coughs> this work took off. Um, I've been thinking about it for a number of years before that, and I worked uh, as a facilitator, and I, that's where the language first came to me. I didn't invent the concept of holding space. It, uh, the first place I started to hear it was in the facilitation or, or group hosting work that I did uh, in some of the, the, the learning there. And, um, but I... I the I, the concept really became solidified for me when um, I was with my siblings at my mom's bedside as she was dying. And uh, it took me actually another two years to write the blog post. So I didn't write it right away, but, but at, <laughs> there was a, uh, we, we cared for mom in her home and she died in her home. And while we were caring for her, there was this palliative care nurse that was showing up in support of us and in support of mom. And she was in doing things like teaching us how to in inject mom with morphine and, and she was giving mom sponge baths in, in bed and things like that. And, and so, but she had this just really gracious, beautiful way of showing up and not enforce, you know, not telling us what to do too much, but still supporting what we needed to do and, and giving us enough guidance to, to be able to support mom, but not, you know, she didn't dump a big textbook full of, you know, what to do when someone's dying kind of <laughs> instructions on us. She just gave us enough and she did what we needed in order to be present with mom. And so I reflected on that and ended up writing a blog post about 
the eight ways that I saw holding space demonstrated in that moment with mom. And you're right, it went kind of crazy viral. It, I've lost track, but it's been over 5 million people that have, have seen it. And it continues to float around the world on a regular basis. It pops up all the time. I think I've, <laughs> I think I've posted it a few different times. That that's yeah. just really good, really good advice because sometimes we just don't know what to do when someone is grieving, mourning, someone's angry, et cetera, et cetera. Hi, this is Christy. I just want to say that we here at Radiate Wellness hope you're enjoying this podcast. It's free to you, and we hope that you find it informative and inspirational, heck, even fun. We have just three small asks of you to help us radiate growth. First, please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on. That way, you'll receive a notification every time that we have a new podcast episode out. Next, please give us a thumbs up, a like, or a five-star review. If you're feeling inspired, a positive review wouldn't hurt. These two small things will help others find us when they're searching for great podcasts. Finally, please tell your friends about the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Better yet, show them how to find us and how to subscribe. If everyone did that, we would double our audience. Thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. So like in what type of situations is it best to hold space? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I, I think holding space can show up in very many different ways. And I sometimes say that there's, there's shallow versions of holding space and then there's deeper and deeper versions. And, and, you know, you might hold space for somebody who, you know, <coughs> maybe they had a fight with their husband and they need to vent about it and they're going to phone you up a friend or something. And, and so you're just going to hold space for, you know, 10 minutes while they vent about their husband and then you'll move on to something else. And, and it wasn't what, well, there wasn't a lot of complexity necessarily. You just supported them, maybe asked a few good questions to help them work through it. And that was it. On the other hand, you might hold space for somebody who's going through a major life transition or, or a depression or there's, you know, really complex and, and sometimes really drawn out situations where you're holding space um, for a lot of complexity showing up. Or, and this has been some of my work, is, is holding space for really complex conversations around things like uh, race relations or gender uh, issues around, you know, these are systemic issues that run really deeply in, in our culture. And so we need to hold space for how do, we, how, do, how do we speak to each other across difference and how do we show up for each other in, in respectful but, uh, but truthful um, ways uh, where people can be heard? Um, so it, it's, I mean, holding space is something we do every day and, and it's something, you know, it, it shows up everywhere we go in some way or another. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even what you're talking about in terms of racial and gender issues, I mean, so yeah, it shows up systemically in groups and it shows up, you know, collectively in a way, but it's also intensely personal sometimes too. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. healing work needs to be done on such a large scale in this country, especially. And so do you work with groups to learn this? Do you work with groups to understand this concept? 
Yeah, I, 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 I'm not very often brought in like as a consultant where I, I actually facilitate. I don't do that much as, as much anymore. Um, I tend to be more training other people to hold space now. That tends to be my primary work. I run a, a six-month um, holding space practitioner program, and, um, and then I do workshops all over the world. I just got back from Australia and New Zealand where I did a variety of workshops. So I, I, I tend to be either brought in by an organization that wants to um, teach their people how to hold space or I create my own learning opportunities and either online or, or do uh, retreats to different places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Six month training program. That sounds pretty intense. So what, um, what it is quite, <coughs> what happens during the six weeks? That's quite an, that's quite a long time. <clears throat> Yeah, six months actually. It's you'd be surprised how much how much material. Uh, there's actually quite a lot of content in there about the the complexity. I mean, we go just for two months just on the basic concepts of holding space, really unpacking it and and talking about what it is and how we need to show up for it. And and then we spend a month. Actually, it's changing. I'm 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 changing the program a bit, but it, a month and a half <coughs> on. Uh, holding space for ourselves, which is one of the most critical modules is, is how do we hold space for ourselves? How do we show up for our own uh, stuff so that we're not projecting our baggage onto other people? Um, and then we go into holding space in, in groups. Like if you want to do, I, I use the circle way as a process primarily for hosting, host, host, holding space in, in a group. Um, and then we do, um, holding space one-on-one, -on -one, which is more of a co coaching kind of module mm -hmm. and then holding space in complexity. And that one's uh, like uh, how to hold space when there's conflict, how to hold space when, you know, race or gender is issues show up. So yeah, there's, it's, there's a surprising amount of things to learn. And even in the six months, people say that, that there's too much, <laughs> that there's, there's so much they can't get, they need to, some people go through it a second time after the six months, because they say there's so much learning there. Yeah, six months, that's got to be very intensive, but also very transformative as well. Okay. And um, so I see that you also do art of hosting and circle way. You, you meant, you kind of mentioned the circle mm -hmm. way. Can you What's the difference between those mm -hmm. programs and just holding space? The art of hosting and circle way are closely connected and, uh, but they, they offer different things. The circle way is really about, um, it's a practice. It's, it's being in circle with other people. And so it really gives us the framework for how to be in circle with, with other people. Art of hosting takes that to a bigger scale or to a different uh, or into different contexts and you learn different models of how to really you're learning how to hold space in group process and so it's you know if you want to be a facilitator slash host and you want to host conversations art of hosting has a lot of valuable tools and, and much of what i learned i learned in those two um practices the art of hosting and circle way um, what holding space brings to the conversation is it's not about, it's not so much about a specific practice or a specific, um, you know, how to do it. It's more about what am I doing when I'm doing it? What's the stuff that I'm, you know, what's showing up in me? What, how am I, 
um, what are some of the qualities I need to bring to this work, etc. So it's just adding another layer of nuance onto that, onto the other conversations. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I can totally see that. And then what, what type of people take your programs? I can think of a few types of people I think should take your program, but what types of people do take your program? It's a fairly vast range of people. Some of them want to do uh, coaching facilitation work, um, you know, in its, in its purest form. <coughs> Other people uh, are, I, I have several people who are veterinarians who come to the program because they hold space for either both for the animals and for the families of animals. If the animals are under stress or especially if animals are, are at the end of life, etc. So people that are, are working in that field, I've got people who work in hospice care. I've got pastoral people. I've got healthcare people. I've got, you know, people that just want to learn to hold space in their family better. It, it's, it seems like it's quite a broad range of people that are, you know, a lot of them are in a helping profession of some kind, um, but others just want to bring it into their leadership. Like some are just our, our leaders. I've, I've had some professors or some university administration kinds of people who want to do better in, in terms of leading and supporting their, their, uh, their teams and students, etc. So it's pretty broad. That's really interesting. Um, so what I was really primary, primarily thinking of was the healthcare field for how to, you know, how doctors and healthcare providers can hold space for, for their patients, their clients, because, um, you know, bedside manner is very, very important. And, you know, having a rapport with a healthcare provider and uh, with between um, healthcare and the client and the consumer. So that's very important. What I have to say, I was a little taken aback by holding space for animals. I thought that was, wow. Tell me more about that. Well, I, you know, and I don't know that I'm qualified to teach that. I have people asking that question and, and they'd probably be more qualified to teach it because I don't even have any pets and I, I, so I don't have, you know, a lot of practice in holding space for it. But I, I think that all, a lot of the concepts can be transferred into how you hold space for animals as well. Like how, how we treat people and give them safe containers is probably similar to how we would offer it to um, animals in our care as well, or, you know, that are parts of our members of our family. Right. Yeah. You talked about um, with working with veterinarians enabled in order to be able to hold space for a family member who may be grieving over the transition or yeah. illness of, a, of a, a beloved pet, but even, you know, with, with animals, and I don't want to linger too long on this, but I'm always fascinated by the people who have um, a presence with animals that calms them and a presence that um, does hold space for an animal who might be agitated or fearful. All right. So I thought that was very interesting and just kind of, made my ears stand up a little bit. <laughs> and so um, you're also, um, you, so you train this, you train this way of holding space, you train this manner of facilitation. I can imagine that all kinds of groups would love that. I, I love it that um, you're also speaking with professors, college uh, administrators. I think that's an awesome thing to do. Um, and with, with organizations, um, you know, I, I would love to uh, maybe 
have you speak with Darcy Graves, who was on our program to radiate solidarity because she does very similar things, but in a slightly different capacity. And I'm reminded of uh, John Nab, who's been also been on our program to radiate leadership, who also talks about many of these things. I love that there's so much, so much overlap here. And um, mm -hmm. but you you also write, and so do you have any books that you've written, or is it mostly <laughs> blogs? Yeah, I, I have two books that I've written and neither have the, of them have been published yet. So uh, that's my, yeah, I, the, I have written, I've just finished writing one on holding space that I'm in the process of getting published. So I'm hoping within the next six months or so, there will be a book on, on holding space that I've written and out in the world. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be really wonderful because I think this can, you know, be something that more and more people learn to do because um it's definitely a skill set and um you know it can benefit in so many so many ways you were talking about families too i see so many families in my practice that people don't speak to each other they can't speak to each other and i just find that heartbreaking that yeah members have that just breakdown in communication i just don't understand how we can allow that to get to to that that place, but I know it happens a lot, mm -hmm. and uh, it's wonderful to be able to do that. And uh, you know, for ministers, for coaches, for um, anybody who's working with people, and so um, so when we are holding space, like in um, like what kind of things do we hold space for? I know that we talked about. Um, you know, holding space for people who are going through grief, but um, like what, what else do you work with people on? You talked about, you know, uh, maybe some group issues, gender, race, that type of thing. Yeah. What other, what other things might be common that we would hold space for? Well, a, a lot of in the at the end of the day a lot of the work that i do is about holding space for people's self grow, uh, self um awareness and and personal growth so it, it, that shows up everywhere like if you're holding space for other people it's a lot of it is going to end up being holding space for their own transformation at the end of the day. So I, one of the things I talk about is that we hold, hold a liminal space and liminal space is yeah. um, really about the space in between what was, you know, what once was and what hasn't yet emerged. And so one of the ways I talk about liminal space is the, it's the, the cocoon in between the caterpillar and the butterfly, there's this empty space. And so a lot of what I see holding space is about is how do we create a container that supports that kind of transformation that, you know, allows people to let go of their old expectations, their old identity, their old, you know, way of showing up in the world and, you know, wrestle with how am I being transformed into something new? Uh, and that, that's in almost everything you know whether it's group process where a group has hit a conflict and they need to reimagine how to show up together or or whether it's you know family grieving around their mother's death or something they're they're changing their identity they're no longer you know they no longer have a mother figure in that in that family unit so they have to 
un undergo this transformation. So that's, I would say that that's kind of tends to be the common thread in, in much of my work. Right, right. And I like on your website, the, the liminal um, aspect of it, you talk about liminal being a line, maybe just a boundary almost. And then you also talk about circles and spirals. So how do these geometric concepts mm -hmm. play into this work that you do? So how do the, how do the concepts of, of lines and spirals and circles, how does that translate to what you do? Um, well, that's, that's a big question. I don't, I don't know if there's one, one answer for all of that because they all show up differently. I tend to be a, a visual thinker. And so I will very often develop a, a visual metaphor for almost all of my work. Um, so we talk about, it, for example, the circle shows up in how we create containment because I talk about it as being a bowl for each other. We create a container where if you need to fall apart, if you need to be that, you know, kind of broken, messy place, you need a container to hold that. So that's, that, you know, that's a shape, that's a bowl. Another thing that I talk about is, is um, the spiral is really this process of going deeper and deeper inwards. If we're going, getting closer to our own truth, if we're getting closer to collective truth or purpose of a group. Um, and, Another thing I often use is a labyrinth. I love the labyrinth. It's it's one of my own personal practices, and I also incorporate it into my work. And it's really indicative of how we are journeying in our lives in general. There's this process of, you know, moving towards the center, whatever the center is, the purpose or the uh, that's a bit of the liminal space too. At the center is 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 you know there's three pro three steps in a labyrinth journey: the release, the receive, and the return. So release is going inward, letting go of our old baggage or old expectation, and then we're ready to receive whatever is new at the center. And then the return is coming back, um, the hero's journey coming back into our lives. So those yeah every shape has a different meaning for me and they show up differently but i do tend to bring them in to help me um explain this work and and guide us in understanding it more deeply oh i love that i love that i'm a visual person too and so that makes a lot of sense the labyrinth especially because we always think of a labyrinth as having you know on one end there's the interest on the other end but no a true labyrinth you're supposed to find your way to the middle find your way to the center right so that's beautiful now um is there anything that we haven't brought up or discussed that you think would be important to know no i think we've covered most everything there is one concept that i draw on quite a lot and and it's it's not original to me but it's um there's a book called the anatomy of peace and it talks about whether your heart is at war as or your heart is at peace and he talks about what he says is that or they say it's it's a, a multiple writers but they say that when your heart is at war when you show up in an interaction with another person that's when you you see the other person as an object to either be fixed or changed or or conquered and when your heart is at peace then you see that other person as human 
and flawed and you know lovable and 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 so you have compa- show can show up with compassion with that other person so really i think when it comes to holding space we can't hold space from a heart at war so we have to really examine why is my heart at war right now why am i feeling this need to conquer to fix to to change to you know etc to control um, and, and I think the goal is always to seek a heart at peace so that I can enter. Th- and a heart at peace is not a pushover. You know, it's not like it means you have to be just always, you know, easily manipulated. It's still a very strong and sturdy heart and has, you know, a warrior heart, but it's not, but it's at peace. It doesn't feel the need to, to be in a controlling situation. Right. I would imagine that the heart at peace is, equally as strong if not stronger than a heart at war because the heart at able right a heart at war yeah. is mutable and is always trying to seek its balance but i i think i love yeah. it i might want to check out that book sometime and so your website mm-hmm. is heatherplett.com that's heather p-l-e-t-t dot com and mm-hmm. uh, what is the program called, the, the six-month program? I've just changed the name. It used to be the Holding Space Coach Facilitator Program, and it's now I'm just changed, shortening it a bit to the Holding Space Practitioner Program. Um, so it, the next um, registration opens. It'll be opening in July, but we start again in October. I'm taking a bit of a break. I used to run it twice a year, um, but I'm starting it up in October. But the registration will open in a couple of months for that. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, because I think this uh, episode will be airing or being published sometime in early June, so that's that's good timing. So they can just sign up at heatherplett.com. Yes, that's right. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Heather, for being on the program and for sharing your wisdom and expertise. I think this is going to be a very important topic for a lot of people that we um, okay. talk about holding space but may not know exactly what that is or what that entails and so i i truly appreciate your time thank you i appreciate the invitation as well radiate wellness is a community of holistic and alternative healers and consultants based in the kansas city area dedicated to helping you create spiritual energetic and physical well-being To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.